Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. This is episode 74. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Woolman. Good morning, Dr. Woolman. Good morning, Christina. How are you? <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm thanks looking for, forward to peeking into your bag. Thanks for not asking, uh, what's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> Next time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. Dr. Glenn Wallman, and I will be your guide, along with Christina today, as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, searching for optimal health. Today, we're going to do something that I got stimulated by in our conversation last week with uh, Poonam Chowdhury. In her health tip, she talked about the concept that people needed to know more about their bodies, where things are, and it's important to learn about your body. So I thought, why not do an episode maybe on just some of the anatomy of the body, just basic anatomy, uh, and not talking about why things work or what they do, but mainly just where they are. So that would be my topic for today, Christina. What do you think? That's a fantastic topic. I love it. You know, I'd, I'd like to know where everything is in my body. <laughs> so when I go see the doctor, I'm not pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's everybody uh, always talks about, I mean, the big one for me is I'm having a pain in my stomach. Uh, where's my appendix? Oh, interesting. And, and so everybody wants to know that. And, and also we'll talk about just a little bit of the terms of anatomy. So we'll try and give a big whirlwind tour. We'll go semi-fast on this. But uh, if you have any questions, as you, of course, represent every person, uh, then uh, bring it up and we can get maybe a little more specific on some things. And again, today's kind of like the big picture, a whirlwind tour. Uh, at other points, uh, when we go inside the doctor's bag and some future episodes, we may take each one of the systems that we're, we're talking about today and really learn a lot more about it. And I'll try and, and do that usually in coordination with uh, maybe a specialist. For example, if we had a dermatologist on, uh, we might talk about the skin actually uh, to much more detail so people will understand so as we go through this, kind of imagine yourself as you're facing out. You're looking at yourself from within, and the right side of your body is your right side. The front is your front, and the back is the back. The left side is the left. Um, it gets confusing sometimes when you're <laughs> facing somebody and you point to uh, to your right, so they automatically look at the left. In in medicine and anatomy, we always talk about the anatomical position, and that usually is coming from a person that's facing straight out, and we describe things based on their body uh, rather than from our viewpoint. Well, and also, before you continue on, uh, Glenn, I just want to remind our audience that at any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment just by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box. Um, and uh, make sure you click submit so I can share your question with Dr. Woolman. Or you can call directly into our conference line at 323-476-3997, and your ID is 607 Three nine three pound. Um, if that went by a little too quickly, not to worry because it will pop up on the screen as this live show is going on. Okay, thank you, Glenn. <laughs> uh, that was great. Uh, maybe there was some Freudian reason why I didn't uh, mention that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I did. <laughs> yes, but maybe that'll be another show. Uh, we'll have a psychotherapist. Uh, in fact, we are going to have a psychotherapist on. Maybe they can figure us out. Oh, so the dear. first so, <laughs> so let's get uh, the first picture right now and we'll talk about the integumentary system and let's see if we can get that. And basically the integumentary system is the skin. And we don't need to go into that too much, but just to let everybody know, the skin covers obviously the entire body. It has about three or four parts to it. The skin includes the epidermis, which is the outside, the uh, deeper portion, which is the dermis. It also has parts in it that 
of hair and hair follicles, as you know. It has glands in the skin. Now, we all have heard of endocrine glands, and we'll talk about the endocrine system in a little while, but this has apocrine glands, and those are the sweat glands. So, uh, And then we also have fingernails, and that's basically it for the skin part of the show. And, of course, it goes over all of the body front and back. The skin is uh, our largest actual organ. I think that it, uh, if you uh, spread it out, if you went to see Body Worlds at one time, you may see that it, it probably covers, I don't know, about a 20 square meters. I think it's that in uh, surface. And it, it could weigh close to 100 pounds if you took the skin off. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, almost what I weigh now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, get, I mean, if you weigh less than 100 pounds, it definitely does not weigh 100 pounds. <laughs> but it weighs, you know, in an average adult. Uh, it, it has some, it has some uh, depth to it. It's also, it's also part of the immune system. It's also part of the protective system. It protects organs, does lots of things. But uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the skin. So if you don't have any real questions on that, we'll move to our next system. Uh, which will be the muscular system. I'm not that's sure not that's the <laughs> muscular system. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, our wizard is focused. <laughs> <laughs> and as we know, we have muscles all over the body. The muscles are the important parts. They're protective of of our uh, bodies, everything beneath it, uh, including bones and organs other tissue, and the muscles are used for uh, movement most of the time. There are actually three different types of muscles in the body. There's the skeletal muscles, which we're looking at right now, and those are the muscles that go from uh, one body part crossing a joint usually uh, to another body part and where it allows something to happen in the joint to flex it or to extend it or change its range of motion. And the muscles, of course, are in the front and back. We also have smooth muscle, which are, uh, for example, might be around those apocrine glands that we spoke about in the skin and in other areas. And then we also have cardiac muscle. So all three are types of muscle, but the in the muscular system, uh, the skeletal muscle is what we're talking about mostly. And each muscle has um, a blood supply and a nerve supply. And also it has an origin and an insertion. So the origin is where it starts from and the insertion is where it goes to. And due to the origin and insertion, that's how we get the motion for that specific type of muscle. Any thoughts on that, Christina? Mm. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly there are lots of... That's a lot. Uh, That's a lot of muscle, huh? Yeah, there's a lot of muscle, and they do amazing things. And, you know, we have injuries to muscles, and uh, that's why it's important for us to know them. Each one of them has names, and we could learn those names. Like I said, each one has a blood supply and a nerve supply. but And it goes from front to back also. So mm-hmm. the next system that we're going to talk about is the skeletal system. And those that we know are the bones of the body. I think there are around 206 bones in the body, different uh, parts of the body. And it goes all the way from up at the skull, you know, and different parts of the skull and the face around the back. It goes into the jaw and the mandible. Also, all the way down the vertebral column, uh, which is the backbone from the neck all the way down to... It goes through the cervical portion of the vertebrae in the spinal column. Then it goes to the thoracic. Then it goes to the lumbar. And then it goes to the sacral and then the coccygeal region. So these are all things that we follow and learn about. And these are the areas that when people have back pains, that's where that comes from. Also, the skeletal uh, parts include the ribs and shoulder blades upper arms, which is the humerus, uh, the lower portion of the forearms, which are the radius and the ulna. Then we have in the hand, we have the wrist bones, which are the carpals, the carpal bones, the 
uh, metacarpals and the phalanges are the finger bones. Mm. Down in the pelvis, we have uh, many parts of the hip bone, the pubis, and the iliac crest and the ischium. And these are some of the areas where you have, oh, I have sacroiliac pain that's in that region where the backbone meets the uh, pelvis. And then we have the hip joints and the upper leg bones, which are the femur. The knee is the patella. And we have the lower leg bones, which the big shin bone is the tibia. And the outside little bone is called the fibula. Then we go down to the ankle where we have the tarsus bone and the calcaneus, which is the heel bone, the part that hits the ground. And then we have, just like up in the hand where we had the carpals, we have the tarsals. And then we had, in the hand, we had the metacarpals. In the foot, we have the metatarsals. But in the end of the toes, we also call them phalanges. So the fingers, phalanges, and the toes are phalanges. And of course, in the back, it... uh, you know, we can look at it from a posterior point of view where we see the shoulder blades. But one of the things that you should just realize is if you, uh, you know, you could take your hand and put it on your neck, uh, right at the notch in your neck. And I'll move this over a little bit to point to here. And right from there down is the sternum, which is the breastbone. And under that are some pretty vital organs. You have the thymus, the trachea, the esophagus, and the heart. They're all there. But you can learn to see where your sternum or your breastbone is. And then you could look at the bones on the side that go from that top notch out to your shoulders. Those are called the clavicles. And the shoulder blade is called the scapula. And many muscles attached to each of these, which we have to learn and figure out. If you Mm. notice, though, if you're thinking, uh, you can, over your anterior chest, you could feel your ribs. And you could find out where the sternum stops. And then you find that margin where the ribs stop. But if you go out to the side, if you follow the front of your ribs with your fingers, you can see that the very lower ribs are almost touching your hip bones, not actually the hip bones, but the iliac crest, the pelvic mm. bones. So most people don't realize, but that the the backs of the ribs are almost at the level of the pelvis. Mm. And that's important because it covers and protects things like the kidneys. Now, so what holds these bones together? Well, what holds the bones <laughs> together is so that... So we don't fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> right. Those are, those are ligaments and connective tissue that mm-hmm. hold them all together. Uh, the ligaments usually, uh, and this is something interesting uh, to think about so that you'll know the difference because some people don't know the difference between a ligament and a tendon. Uh, ligaments attach one bone to another bone and tendons attach muscle to bone. And the best way to remember that is thinking about the biceps. We also we all know the biceps muscle in the arm, which helps to flex it. And if you flex your elbow, bringing your hand closer to your body, uh, as it flexes, that biceps uh, bulges a little bit. And right at the end of the bicep, you can start to feel this cord-like structure. Can you feel that? Are you doing that? <clears throat> oh, yeah. I feel that. Exactly. So that right there is the biceps tendon. And that biceps tendon attaches the muscle to the bone. So that way you can remember the difference between a tendon and a ligament is that you remember the biceps tendon. And so that's attaching muscle because the biceps is a muscle, whereas a ligament uh, attaches uh, bone to bone. Mm -hmm. So you have the sternum which is the breastbone, and you have the clavicle right next to it, the collarbone. So there's a ligament uh, between those two called the sternoclavicular ligament. So all of the ligaments usually are named based on the bones that they uh, connect. And that's about that. So you got the tendon and the and the ligament down, Christina? Yeah, yep, got that down. Okay. <laughs> but Tell I can't believe the- there's only 206 bones in our body. I know. Well, you start breaking down the head. The skull has a number of bones in it. But it just Uh, seems so few. I know. 
Right? I know. Because well, of our hands and our Until feet. you're in medical school and you have to get tested on them and name every single part, it seems like so many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the skeletal system is very important for a lot of reasons. It's protective, and it also, inside the bones is the marrow where blood is produced. Blood cells are produced, and so this becomes also important for our uh, hematologic system, which is our blood system, and also our lymph system and our immune system. So that's uh, it for the skeletal part today, I think, unless, like I said, you have another question. So then we can go to the nervous system. And the nervous system consists of the brain, which is up in the skull, and it goes down eventually into the most primitive portion of the brain, and we we can discuss at another time the parts of the brain with the higher portions of the cerebrum, which gives us thought and a number of other aspects of higher consciousness. But then we have the deepest portion of the brain, which is the brainstem. We've spoken about that quite a bit. And that's where uh, all of the autonomic uh, functions occur. That's where the brain takes charge of breathing and temperature control and part of waking and sleeping and posture and blood pressure and pulse, et cetera. And the brain, that brain stem eventually works its way down through a large hole in the skull and it becomes the spinal cord. And that goes through the posterior aspect. There's a little canal between each vertebrae. Remember we talked about the cervical, the thoracic, lumbar, and sacral vertebrae. Well, there is a canal in the back aspect of the uh, vertebrae, and the spinal canal goes all the way through that down to the uh, level of the lumbar spine. And at each level, through vertebrae on both sides, you have nerves coming out that go into the muscles and go into organs and go into the skin. And there are two types of nerves that we basically have. One is a sensory nerve, which gives us the indications of uh, light touch, sharp touch, pain, heat, cold, those kind of things, pressure. And those are the sensory nerves. And then also in the body are the motor nerves, which allow us to stimulate a muscle, which we just learned about, which will which will cause the muscle to contract and cause a function to happen. So that's our central nervous system and our peripheral nervous system. We usually call the central nervous system uh, in the brain, et cetera, and the peripheral nervous system are the spinal nerves that go out, and they go out everywhere. Uh, you know, So you can feel something on your fingertip. You can feel something on your back in all of these areas. And each of these can become important because if a sensory nerve is hurt, that's when you get numbness or tingling or what we call paresthesias or abnormal feelings uh, in your wherever the nerve goes. And this is what we also call, we talk about with phantom limbs, when a person uh, may have a portion of, of an extremity amputated or lost they still may have a sensation even even if their arm is completely gone from the shoulder because some of those nerves still fire uh, in the central part of the nervous system they may get a simulation of feeling something in their fingers and this is a good this is good in the sense that as we move forward in medicine and prosthetic care and stem cell research and changing uh, uh, electronics and all of the technical things that are happening in computer uh, in the computer world, we may be able to get function back for a person that loses an extremity. So uh, obviously, each of these areas are incredibly complex, uh, and we could spend hours on them. But I just wanted to go over to so that people will have an idea of where they are in the body. And just by checking on the pictures, you could see that. So we move now, unless you have a question, Christina? Oh, no, no. We're getting, okay. we're getting to more juicy stuff now. I know that. 
Okay, so, well, the brain is pretty juicy and the central nervous system pretty juicy. But let's go to the cardiovascular system for a few moments. I think this is an important one for us to talk about. Cardiovascular system is basically, that has to do with the heart and all of the blood vessels. And if you remember, we have the heart and then the blood vessels that leave the heart are called arteries. And then the arteries go out throughout the body, bringing the fresh blood and oxygenated blood and nutritionous blood to all of the cells in the different parts of the body. And as the arteries go out to various portions, the cells get, I mean, the uh, vessels get smaller. You get a smaller artery, which is an arteriole, and then you eventually go into capillaries. And this capillary is where most of the exchanges take place between the blood uh, blood and the cell itself. So there are exchanges where uh, through the capillary, the oxygen being carried in the hemoglobin of a red blood cell will go out into the cell and it can use that for energy and for other functions. And while that cell is doing that, it produces carbon dioxide and other toxins and those are picked up at the capillary. And then it starts the venous system where... Uh, where the blood goes into the venules and those are small and they eventually get bigger into large veins and then go back into the heart. So that's the cardiovascular system. But within the cardiovascular system, I think there are a few things that are interesting to know about. We always want to know where the heart is. Well, remember before we looked at the uh, sternum, that notch right at the top, and we have the breastbone, the sternum. If you think about that, the heart lies behind that but it also lies mainly to the left of the sternum. A little bit of the heart, the right side of the heart, actually does go over to the right side on the, on the right uh, border of the sternum. But most of the heart is actually on the left side. And I know that uh, many people uh, like to give hugs, and they always talk about the heart hug because they want to be touching left side to left side. So that's why you need to know that that's there. And we can talk about where you can you can put your hand over your heart and sometimes feel the pulse, but other times you could look at the pulses and you can try to find them up in your neck, in the arm, by the elbow, down by the wrist, and uh, in the region where the hips are, in the inguinal region. Excellent. So those are the areas where we feel the pulse. You can also see... Uh, veins sometimes in the body. Most of the time we can look at veins up in the neck. When somebody gets excited, uh, the some of their neck veins will stand out. Uh, if somebody has certain problems such as congestive heart failure where the lungs and heart are not working correctly, uh, we can see that there's a backup and then gorgement or swelling of the veins. So sometimes the veins in the neck give us an indication if they seem to be swollen or bigger than normal, then you um, get the idea that there might be something going on with the heart and it's worth looking at. One of the things that you can do is if you put your hand down by your side, you should be able to look at the back of your hand and see veins uh, popping up. And then if you can you see that? Oh, yeah. I've okay. always had major veins in my <laughs> So now, <clears throat> slowly watch. take your hand and looking at the back of your hand, looking at the veins, raise your arm to just about the level of your heart, just about the level. No, without bending your elbow. Straight out. Your elbow's still bent. Your elbow's still bent. Oh, straight this way? Oh. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so you can see that the veins start to collapse a little bit. And if mm -hmm. you raise them a little bit above the level of your heart, the veins should disappear. And depending on where those veins disappear, that helps us as we're doing physical examinations to diagnose uh, blood pressure and, and failure of, of the heart or the ability of the heart to... Mm. Be strong. Do we have the posterior view of the heart? I think. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. And the whole uh, cardiovascular system. 
just just in case for anyone who might like to see it, if you go to their website, innerbody.com would be the URL, innerbody.com. Yeah, that's good to mention that. And uh, we want to thank them for allowing us to use their uh, slides. It's it's a very nice uh, educational tool for everybody to go to. And uh, it can get much deeper when you, if you go to that site, uh, you could look at things more uh, definitively. So uh, after the cardiovascular system, let's go to the respiratory system now. And the respiratory system uh, consists of the nose and the mouth and uh, the trachea. And the trachea goes from the throat and it goes down through the neck. And if you push on that area in your neck above the sternum and you feel this kind of cartilage, that push that there right in this area here, you can actually feel some of the rings of the trachea. If you turned a person to the side and looked at them from a side view, the trachea would be in front, and then the esophagus, which is the gastrointestinal tube, would be behind that. That's why when you see in these emergency shows where we uh, see somebody that's choking and has food inside their windpipe or their trachea, we can go right into that area and open up uh, a small hole to put uh, a breathing tube in to bypass whatever may be blocking them. Mm. So the trachea is right there. And then if you see that you have the trachea breaks up on, into one large stem on the right and one large stem on the left, uh, they call them the main stem bronchi. And then they go into the lungs. And each lung, the right lung and the left lung, have many different lobes to them. And if you notice, one of the things that's important for people to understand is that the lungs cover a large area, and that includes front, back, and sides. And on top, actually, your lungs go above your clavicles, so the collarbones. So if you feel the spaces in between, I mean, above your collarbones, uh, there will be lung there. A lot of times when we're listening with a stethoscope, that's an important area to listen to so you can hear the lungs at the very tip uh, and the lungs go all the way into the back and down uh, to all the way to the diaphragm which is a very large muscle which separates the thoracic or chest cavity from the abdominal cavity and the diaphragm most people that are watching uh, yoga hub know about diaphragmatic breathing where we try to do belly breathing, but the diaphragm helps us to expand our lungs so that we could take in a deep breath. And that's, that goes right under the rib cage. So if you followed that sternum down to the bottom and went out on each side of the anterior ribs, you would find that's where the diaphragm is. And the diaphragm mm -hmm. goes all the way in a dome, all the way to the back, very mm -hmm. strong muscle. And, uh, so each time you expand, your chest expands, unless you're a belly breather. And each time you contract, your chest contracts. And uh, so that's the respiratory system. Do we have a posterior view of that by any chance? Or are we eliminating posterior views of everything? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. So we'll wait about one and a half seconds, and then we'll just move on to the next part. I think we need to move on. <laughs> okay. So do you have any questions so far? Uh, no, a lot, but, you know, right. <laughs> that means we'll stay in each section. <laughs> right, right. Now, that's true. So let's move to the digestive system. And those of you that have been following our show, uh, all mm -hmm. of our episodes with Tracy Harrison, we did an actual tour of the digestive system. Uh, and the digestive system starts up in the mouth with the teeth, and it goes down through that long tube, which is the esophagus. That enters into the stomach. The stomach then, the food enters and it goes into the small intestine, which is in the center. And then after the small intestine, it goes into the large intestine, which you see on the person's right going up and then over and across and then down. So you have the ascending colon, the transverse colon, the descending colon, and then you have the 
uh, sigmoid colon, and the rectum. If we can get maybe a closer look at the stomach. Right. There you go. So you can see the esophagus there uh, a little higher up. You see the esophagus and you see the stomach. The stomach is mainly if you are looking down at your anterior chest and you find that place where the ribs end, the stomach is right in that area on the left side, usually. Now, I will say something right now that there is a, everybody's a little bit unique, but for the most part, all of these are true. There is a syndrome <clears throat> called situs invertus where the entire body, depending on the extent of the situs invertus, occurs. The entire body is rotated. So everything that would normally be on the left would be on the right. Remember when I said that the heart is on the left normally mm -hmm. in people? For people with situs invertus, it's on the right. Mm. Wow. So you could see the stomach and you could see how much of that area <clears throat> it takes up, but it's all mainly on the left side. And if you see that little green thing, uh, that little organ just at the end of the stomach, that's the gallbladder. Mm. And that comes from under the liver and that's what squirts that bile out into the intestine. So if you look below that now and look in the center, you could see the small intestine. And the small intestine covers an entire area of the whole abdomen. And this is something that's also very important. And I think if people learn this and nothing else, then we've done our work here. <clears throat> Many people think of the stomach as the entire area from the chest down to the pelvis. And in reality, the stomach is an organ. And that area that we should be talking about, instead of calling it the stomach, is actually called the abdomen. So that's the abdom abdominal cavity versus the thoracic cavity, which is up in the chest. So when somebody says, I'm having stomach pain, uh, it's always important for us as physicians to determine whether they're talking about abdominal pain or actual stomach organ pain. So remember that the stomach is usually on the left side just below the rib cage. And then when the, you look at the gallbladder, that's a little bit to the right side uh, of the center. And the liver, the liver is that large domed organ right there, exactly. And you can see how much space that takes up, but that's mainly on the right side below the rib cage. And it does go all the way to the back and it goes across, as you can see, over to parts of the stomach. So uh, if you're having liver pain or gallbladder pain, that may be more likely to be on your right side of your abdomen. If you're having stomach organ pain, that may be more likely on the left side of your abdomen. And then we look in the center of that area and we see the small intestines and we see all of that area. There's a lot of, just below that, there's a lot, right, exactly. That's the small intestine and that's where the food goes from the stomach and it goes all the way around, all the way around many, many, many feet until it gets all the way to the bottom right where it enters into the large intestine at the lower portion on the right. And then it goes into the ascending large intestine and then to the transverse, which is the part that goes all the way across underneath the stomach. And then down to the descending colon. So let's look because the show is entitled, Where is my appendix? So let's look actually at the appendix and see where it is. <laughs> yes. And it's interesting. You can see that little green, wormy looking thing right there. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where the small intestine meets up with the large intestine. And that little tubular structure is called the appendix. <laughs> uh, it doesn't serve much function anymore. They believe it had um, immune uh, possibilities. Uh, and there's a few other theories about what the appendix does. But that's where it is. So in your body, to figure out where it is, if you put your thumb inside your umbilicus or your belly button and you put your little finger on the anterior portion of your pelvic bone and you drew a line between those two areas, it would be somewhere in that area. 
Hmm. So it's on the right side, what we call the right lower quadrant of the abdominal wall, right lower quadrant. So it's on the right side. Now, it can be, and in most people, it is anterior. So you, when you have pain from an appendicitis, it's usually in the front. Every once in a while, the appendix, just to be uh, cute, goes behind the uh, large intestine, and you can have pain in the back. So it's important to know that. And again, sometimes people with a redundant colon or a longer colon than normal, this appendix may turn up in many different areas. And certainly, uh, one of the interesting things and complicating and challenging things for many of us is for a woman that comes in pregnant, maybe in her sixth or seventh or eighth month, and is having abdominal pain, but it's up in the upper abdomen on the right side. And we start thinking it's liver or gallbladder or something like that, but it actually could be the appendix because it's being moved as the uterus enlarges and pushes that whole intestinal area up into the higher portions of the abdomen. So any questions on where your appendix is now, Christina? Uh, no questions on where it is. I, I get where it is now. Now... <clears throat> Why, what happens when they have to remove it? What happens to that appendix when you hear about people having to have it removed urgently? Well, you mean, why does it become an appendicitis? Yes. Oh, okay. That's a very good question. So if you imagine, if you imagine that the intestinal tract is a tube, right? Mm -hmm. you, you start at the esophagus and that's a tube, the stomach's a tube and all the small intestines are a tube. Well, there's this little tubular structure with a very small opening that sticks out uh, between the small intestine and the large intestine. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, that tube can get blocked by something. It could be blocked by uh, eating somebody eating peanuts or seeds, sunflower seeds, something simple like that. It could also be blocked because of a virus where a little inflammation gets in there and swells up the opening so that that opening is no longer able to allow flow of the blood supply and fluids that may be in the intestine to escape back out into the intestine. So the intestine, key, uh, the appendix keeps producing the fluid and the escape is not allowed. So it becomes like a balloon hmm. and it starts expanding and expanding and expanding. And as it goes through that expansion, that's when a person goes through the symptoms of having an appendicitis. Uh, what happens though, at a certain point is that, um, it can explode or rupture, and all of the contents that are inside, which may be intestinal bacteria and feces and a number of other things and food, then escape into the abdominal cavity where that doesn't belong, and then it becomes inflamed, and then people get really sick. However, for a few moments, when the rupture occurs, you actually become pain-free because all of that pressure has been released. Mm. So it's like a balloon that can't hold enough water. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. either going to burst or you have to remove it. Exactly. So, so they actually remove it, which means we don't really need this little appendix there. There might that... have been reasons for it uh, back uh, millions of years ago. Uh, we're still studying things about it. It may be, like I said, it may have to do with things in the immune system, or it may have to do with things that we needed at one point, but we don't need anymore. But we can certainly live without it. Mm -hmm. The only problem mm -hmm. is uh, sometimes after a surgery, uh, everything usually heals perfectly, but you can get scar tissue around the intestine, and sometimes that scar tissue could kink up the intestine a little, but that's a whole other topic mm -hmm. that we'll mm -hmm. talk about. Uh, go ahead. I just find it so interesting that there's this little, little green thing. <laughs> <laughs> a little green That's thing. That's all I'm going to think of it, like this little green thing hanging between our intestines there. And where are you going to think that it exists? Where? Oh, between the belly button. <laughs> and? 
between the belly button and, and the hip bone, the top of the hip bone, right? Yeah. Now that's not actually the hip bone. Oh, that's the pelvic bone. The pelvic bone. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> so these funny. are good things for us to learn. Yes. So let's move to the endocrine system. Okay. The endocrine system is an interesting system. There's parts of the endocrine system that are in the brain, the pineal gland, the hypothalamus, uh, pituitary gland. You've heard of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are all up in the brain. And then you go to your neck. And if you feel the cartilage in your neck right at the front, prominent more in men than women. But if you feel that cartilage behind that cartilage and a little lower than that is where your thyroid gland is. And... So you should be always feeling for your thyroid gland because uh, sometimes you can get a little nodule or a mass or it's swollen. If you know what we always talk about knowing your body, what it normally looks like. So it's if you start feeling your gland and it gets tender, you might have an acute thyroiditis and you can mm. diagnose that. So it's right there in the neck. Then you also have the parathyroid glands, which have to do with calcium control in the body. And those are embedded sort of within the thyroid glands. We also have uh, the adrenal glands, which are just above the kidneys. And of course, part of the endocrine system uh, in the female are the ovaries and the uterus. And in the male are the testes, the gonads. Uh, So very important system, very connected to the immune system, very important and connected to the neurological system. Um, and it's important, I think, I guess in this case to know probably where your thyroid is, you can feel that. And then if you're talking about your ovaries, the ovaries, if you again, go back to your pelvic area and you feel those bones, uh, at the top of the pelvis, it's below and in toward the center a little bit on each side are the ovaries and in the very center is the uterus and we'll go over that a little more when we speak of uh, the female reproductive organs so that's basically the uh, yeah you could see the pelvis and we're going to show uh, the female endocrine system in just a few minutes i mean the female uh, reproductive system but before that i want to go to the urinary system and make sure we all understand that just for a few minutes in terms of where is it and not the function or why is it, but we'll go with the urinary system, which basically starts out with the kidneys. Um, and you can see the kidneys and those are actually in the back of the body. So if you're looking from the front, you would not feel the kidneys in the front. You would have to take both of your hands and go to your back. And if you feel that where the ribs are at the bottom on each side, that's basically where each kidney lies, one on the left, one on the right. And then the kidneys, from the kidneys uh, go the ureters. There's a tube from each kidney to the ureters, and then they go to the bladder. And the bladder is low in the pelvis in the center. And you can feel the bladder sometimes, especially if it's kind of distended a little bit. You could push on that area. And the bladder is actually, if you turned a person to the side, the bladder would be in front of the uterus in a woman. And then you have the urethra, which is the tube that releases the urine from the uh, bladder out into the external world. And we could see one maybe in a male. Again, you could see that the kidneys are essentially in the same place. The adrenal glands are at the top of each kidney. They actually sometimes call them the suprarenal glands. But you see the kidneys on each side, and you feel them in the back. People that have a kidney pain, sometimes a kidney stone, sometimes a, a kidney infection, you'll be getting that back pain below your ribs on one side or the other. And usually it's on one side or the other. And I don't think we have to describe for the males where the penis and the testes are. You would agree with that, Christina? We have to describe it for the females, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. I think maybe that's where you come in. <laughs> Not certified. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wimp. So let, let's go to the uh, female reproductive system. Certainly the breasts are part of the reproductive system in a way. Uh, They're up in the chest, 
And then in the lower portion, again, you have the ovaries, which produce the eggs and produce other uh, hormones, estrogen, uh, progesterone, etc. And those are in the pelvic area. So again, if you look at your pelvic bones, not the hip bones, and you go medially, which we call medially, toward the center a little bit, on each side are your ovaries. And then the fallopian tubes uh, connect the ovaries to the uterus, and the uterus is in the midline or the center, and it is directly behind the bladder uh, mm. if you're looking from the side. So if you're having pain in the center of your abdomen down in the pelvic region, that's when you start thinking, if it's a female, you start thinking about bladder problems or uh uterus problems, ovarian problems. And we also remember, we also still, because of the small intestine, large intestine, we have to think of those things too until we can rule it out. And usually we do that again. We've talked about through our history. We talk to people and we find out what they're complaining of and that guides us. Let's look at the uh, male uh, genital system. And the male genital system is basically the gonads, uh, the testes, where the testosterone is produced and semen is produced, et cetera. And the prostate gland is part of that. And those would be usually felt. The penis and testes can be felt easily. And I do recommend that males always examine your testicles uh, so that you know what the normal is, so that if something ever occurs that's abnormal, be it a pain or be it a lump or a mass, you will recognize it sooner than later. So I think it's very mm -hmm. important to do that. And finally, we'll talk about the immune system for just a moment, uh, just so that people get an idea of what the immune system is about and where it is. And the immune system has to do with things like the thymus. You've heard of the thymus gland. And the thymus gland is up in the chest. It's actually just behind the uh, sternum or the breastbone. You all know sternum now, so I can start calling it sternum. <laughs> the thymus is there. It actually is very big as a child. And then as we become adults, it becomes less and less uh, big. We have the spleen, which is uh, an organ in the abdominal cavity. And it's on the left side of the body below the stomach. And this is an organ that uh, is usually a filter system for the blood. But this is something that uh, is vulnerable sometimes to blunt trauma. A lot of times football players or somebody in an accident or somebody riding on a bicycle and the bike uh, crashes and the handlebar goes into the left side of their abdomen, it can rupture the spleen or cause a, an injury to the spleen. And then, of course, we also have uh, lymph vessels and ducts all over the body that we talk about lymph nodes when somebody gets a sore throat and they could feel lymph nodes swollen in their uh, neck. Those are That's part of the lymph system and the immune system. You can feel uh, somebody that may have a breast mass or an inflammation. You can sometimes feel lymph nodes in your axilla or in your armpit. And sometimes people that have infections in their lower extremities uh, or in the pelvic region may feel large lymph nodes in um, the pelvic or inguinal region. Uh, we have many reasons that people can get enlarged lymph nodes. So I think we've covered a lot of areas today. We've covered many systems, and it's mainly for the sake of being able to say, this is where this is, get a bigger picture of the whole process of what we're about. In future episodes, as I said, we may want to take one system at a time and really delve into it deeply and go into all the parts. Uh, be a lot mm -hmm. of fun to talk about each of the systems because they're fantastic. But I think that was just a kind of like a whirlwind tour of <laughs> <laughs> with the idea of where is it? Where is it? I love it. Um, uh, Glenn, a question did come in, um, and okay. it is, uh, I just heard from a friend that her husband had to go into emergency surgery. His colon had literally tied itself into a knot. Is that common, and is there anything you can do to prevent that? <laughs> wow. Uh, <clears throat> all very good questions. Uh, first of all, yes, 
It does happen. It is not common. Most of the time, something like that happens because of a few different things, either a genetic uh, anomaly, something might be familial, uh, where it runs in a family. And in terms of asking, is there anything you could do about it? If you know that a family member has it and there are many family members, you may want to get checked for that at some point just to see. Mm. But one of the things that happens is that uh, part of the colon, remember I said, I mentioned the word redundant mm-hmm. colon or redundancy, which means sometimes it's longer than the normal uh, colon, and also it may be floppier. Remember how you asked about how the bones stay together? Well, the organs also stay together. They have connective tissue, and sometimes either due to trauma or a surgical procedure or just, as I said, an anomaly, uh, some of these connections don't hold tight. So that means that parts of the intestine can flop around a little. And due to certain things, if the intestine flops in a certain way, it twists over on itself. And you can imagine what happens. The best example would be if you're using a hose and you're trying to water in your garden. And as you're moving around, part of the hose twists on itself Mm -hmm. and it won't allow water to come out of one side. Uh, but the water is still coming out from the main source, so it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And and what happens is when that intestine twists on itself, it gets bigger and bigger from one side of the twist. And as it expands, it closes off the blood supply. And when you lose the blood supply, remember we spoke about the cardiovascular system where the cells need blood, they need oxygen and nutrients. If it closes off the blood supply, you don't get blood supply and that tissue starts to die. And as it starts to die, the central nervous system starts picking that up in the sense, remember we talked about sensory nerves where it starts developing pain and you start developing other symptoms. And with those symptoms, you end up going to the doctor, they examine you, take a history, when did it start, where is the pain, and then they do a physical exam, it hurts here, we know this is what may be here, then we do visualizing studies, imaging studies, and we may be able to see on a CAT scan the actual parts of the intestine swollen. So Mm. they need to go in and do uh, acute exploratory laparotomy where they have to find out why it twisted over. Is it redundant bowel or is it a scar tissue? And they have to release that. And at that time, they hope that they got to it in time where they were able to save the colon. Mm -hmm. If they can save the colon and everything is fine, then they clean everything up. They may staple it down a little bit so that it doesn't do that again and just take care of the person and they will recover well. If, on the other hand, they've lost a portion of the colon, then the surgeon has to determine whether the tissue is capable of removing the part that's now died and reconnecting the two or doing a colostomy where they take a portion of the colon that's still alive and bringing it out through the abdominal wall so that you can still uh, pass feces and eliminate or block off the lower portion of the colon. And that could be temporary or permanent depending on the damage. I hope I answered that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a big question. I hope your yeah. friend is doing well. hope they got to them in time, but there mm-hmm. are many things that can happen like that. That's what makes medicine and emergency medicine and all of that so interesting. <laughs> all these little adventures that come up, right? That's true. Uh, oh. Yeah, it, it's fascinating, but the first thing, and that's why... In medical school, the very first course we ever take is anatomy. We just have to know anatomy. And I think that uh, Poonam, the other day in our talk, uh, said we all should know anatomy. And I think hopefully people can go back to this and just review it a little. And you can also go to that innerbody.com and review it there. And, of course, all over the website, there's uh, different programs. They actually have programs, 3D programs, tutorial programs. They even have cadaver uh, websites where you can see not just a picture with a green appendix or a little worm-like structure, but you can actually see 
what muscle looks like and what the thyroid looks like. And I really recommend that for everybody. The more that you know about your own body and the bodies of your family and children, mm-hmm. uh, the better off we will all be. Mm-hmm. Very good point. I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, now that I know the placement of everything. <laughs> yes. Should I? So I was thinking that I would test you. Oh, dear. Okay. For a few moments. Okay, where's your thyroid gland? My thyroid. Oh, it's it's somewhere in here. Exactly. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yay, that's one out of one. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's very good. Where are your kidneys? Stop while you're ahead. Where are your kidneys? Oh, they're back here. Okay. Back here. So good massaging those little babies back there. Yep, definitely. (laughs) And where is your stomach? Oh, my stomach. That is the upper, the upper left, right under the rib, the the base of the rib cage. There. I am so happy today. Woohoo! I am so happy that you, you know got what all I that. couldn't believe is how big that liver is. The liver is huge. Wow! Uh, and imagine, imagine a liver that gets inflamed that can get <gasps> even bigger. Oof! You know when people have really enlarged livers, mm-hmm. and boy. People that get liver failure—that's that's pretty sad. Wow. We didn't. I don't think we showed the pancreas uh, in our talk. It just occurred to me that we didn't show the pancreas, part of an endocrine organ. And it, uh, mm. if you can figure that out, Segovia, that would be great. Uh, but we should show that so that people get an idea, because we're he- hearing so much about the pancreas lately. It's an endocrine gland. It it uh, secretes insulin. And secretes a number of other cells. That's what diabetes is all about. Mm, mm. And it's in the upper abdomen, hoping that we can get a picture of it in that special area. Yeah, so it's under the liver and it's behind the stomach. So if you imagine, you could see the gallbladder there and you remember that the stomach was over on the left, correct? So the pancreas is just behind that and it's got a long... Uh, part the part that's over by the gallbladder is the head of the pancreas, and then the other part where Segovia is moving the line is the tail of the pancreas, and right there is the body of the pancreas. So it's a very mm. long organ in the upper abdomen, uh, and it's under the liver. So people that get uh, pancreatitis may get a pain in the very center of their upper abdomen, right under the sternum. And that pain may radiate directly through to the back. So if you're having pain in the front that goes directly to the back, Mm. sometimes that will be the pancreas. If you're having pain on the right side in the front and it goes to your shoulder blade on the same side in the back, that may be your gallbladder. So lots of little clues here for people. Um, The only thing I would suggest is when you make the diagnosis, uh, don't consider doing the surgery. Just because you know where it is now. A few more things to learn. Okay, it must be your gallbladder. Let me lie down here on the kitchen table. We'll take care of that right now. That's easy, especially that little uh, appendix. That was easy. That's cute. You know, one of the things that is interesting, uh, if you remember where the stomach is and the esophagus is, it's over on the left side. Some people that have a hiatal hernia which is a tear in the diaphragm, which allows the stomach to kind of go up into the thoracic cavity or the chest cavity. Sometimes if you take the palm of your hand and kind of put it over that left upper quadrant just below the rib cage Mm -hmm. and kind of massage as if you're feeling the stomach and trying to massage it back down out of the chest and moving it over toward down into the center, um, Sometimes you can fix your own hiatal hernia. Again, don't do surgery. <laughs> Yourself is what you mean. <laughs> right. And just because you know where the trachea is now. Where is the trachea, by the way? Oh, the trachea is, is up in here as right. well. Right. So just right there, right there where you had your finger is practically a little higher than that is where we make that stab wound. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When, we, when we do an emergency out on the street with our little... Uh, pocket knife and our big pen. Wow. That we used to use that. Big. <laughs> I don't think we use a big pen anymore. Now we use a stylus. <laughs> or we use there must be an app for a tracheotomy. Oh, I'm sh- I bet you there is. <laughs> yeah. Follow the steps, right? Oh, 
Yeah, and actually when we do that, that's not a tracheostomy. That's more what we call a cricothyroidotomy. Or, mm. yeah, because so, you're just trying to get air into someone's... Right, we're, just tra- we're still opening the trachea, but we're opening it in a safe place, at least right. safe for people that know what they're doing, and to get in without causing too much damage, not too many nerves around mm-hmm. and uh, blood vessels around. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. not too deep. <laughs> not too deep, just enough. Oh, my. Just enough. Well, I guess and when how, you have to do it... you know. How high up do the lungs go, Christina? That was what was amazing. Woohoo! There you go. Oh yeah, that's that was really amazing. It's like you you always think of it, right? You know, within your right the the the, the sort chest. of like the chest area, right? The diaphragm I knew because that's you know when you learn to sing and when you you know those those opera singers they're always working their diaphragm. So <laughs> I thought of a health tip for today. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh-oh. All right. What's the health tip? Well, I don't have to give it if you're Watch worried. Watch this about over it. and over again, so you know exactly where a... everything is. That was an interesting. Um, I was thinking of the word guzzle. Guzzle. Mm-hmm. When you think of the word guzzle, I guzzled this drink, or I guzzled, you know, something. Mm-hmm. That's my health tip. Don't guzzle. Don't guzzle. Mm. Yeah. If you if you find yourself saying I was guzzling and you're not doing it right, <laughs> see that's funny. I I that's funny because now that I think of it, I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> Guzzle? Yeah, it was like guzzle. Well, I haven't heard that word in a long time. And then when you said you don't guzzle, I thought I, I haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard it the other day, and I haven't thought about it because. Uh, but I was thinking about it and I thought, you know, that's not a good thing. We shouldn't guzzle. Right, 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 right. So I don't, I don't know if that will actually make the, uh, health tips of 2013, but I just thought I would throw it out there. Then, then, then add why one should not guzzle. Well, one should not guzzle. Uh, in order to know why you should watch all of our episodes with Tracy Harrison. Then they will know why not to guzzle. Right. Basically, you're just putting too much uh, into the stomach, which is in the left upper quadrant, as we know now, too quickly. And, uh, you know, depending on what you're putting in, it might be too cold, too hot, too spicy, too much amount. Too much alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I say that because I just watched... Uh, uh, a couple of people guzzle down a beer in one yeah. shot. I mean, in one shot, I was, I, I almost fell back because I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I didn't think the body could handle that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, ultimately it can't. There you go. <laughs> and, and I guess that comes back to why not guzzle. Why not guzzle? Uh, well, if there are no other questions, I'm grateful to our very special guest. Uh, I'm actually grateful to all of our viewers <laughs> for watching this show and continuing to send in uh, replies and questions and queries uh, for us. We really enjoy them. And I can tell you that if you have a question or a reply for somebody, one of our guests, we make sure that that guest uh, sees the reply and gives them an opportunity to answer, even if the show is over and you're watching it on a podcast or on iTunes at a later date. If you send in a question to us about that show, we will try and get back to the person that made the statement and get their specific answer. If we can't, then I will certainly give an answer, but we'll always reply to that. I do want to thank my healers and my teachers for helping me on my journey. And I want to thank Christina and especially Segovia today for getting those slides uh, for all of us to look at. Today, I want to thank innerbody.com for offering the uh, slide show for us. That was really good, and I recommend people go to that to check it out. Uh, Until next week, when we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy, I would like to wish you all optimal Mm -hmm. health. (laughs) 
<laughs> and of course, thank you to our very special guest, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for reaching into his doctor's bag again this week and helping us sort out this puzzle, this human body puzzle. <laughs> now, you see, he will be testing us each week now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and of course, we would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific, 1.30 Eastern, Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, followed every other week with Flowing into Awareness with Anatara. And may I remind you that if you'd like to con connect or contact Dr. Glenn Woolman, you can follow him on Twitter, at Glenn Woolman, and of course through his own site, glennwoolman.com, where I encourage you to learn about his metaphor square breath. We're always grateful for your feedback. Give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Until next time, namaste. YHTV's Trinity of Life. Come join me, Christina Suzama, as I journey to find the many modalities that support individuals, from children to adults to elders, with topics ranging from health and wellness, meditation, and inspirational stories. I invite you to visit yogahub.tv every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern.